0: This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. On a recent trip to London, I arrived just in time to hear a unique vocal recital at the London Song Festival. The theme this year was dedicated to the idea of the outsider, and the concert that I attended addressed the outsider and much, much more. In fact, I was treated to one of the most extraordinarily powerful recitals that I have heard in years. This particular concert was a testament to the raw honesty and inner life of a tormented artist and was framed by the bond that was shared by his pianist and composer friend. The performance introduced us to composer and pianist Michael Chan Yi Wills and bass baritone James Robinson May. The songs they performed were from the Long Lost Songs, a collection of pieces composed by mister Chan Yi Wills to the text of his singer. These writings by James Robinson May were composed while he was a student at music college. So why is this so extraordinary, you might ask? James Robinson May never had an easy time with life. Through several marriages, which ended in divorce, and with an inability to deal with his personal life and professional singing career, he sought out the answer to the whys of these difficulties. At age 41, he was diagnosed with autism Asperger's syndrome. It was the cathartic moment when he could consider time to heal. There was a reason behind his internal madness. It was also the moment that he rediscovered the poems that he had written earlier in his life, which had now been shut away in his father's attic. The poems, which range in extreme from anger to raw pain and severe frustration, suddenly made sense to him. These became the texts for the long lost songs, brilliantly set to music by his longtime friend, Michael Chani Willis. Michael and James had enjoyed a friendship of over 30 years. And James credits Michael for his understanding and patience as their friendship endured without judgment or rancor. It is the perfect pairing of artists drawn together through the gut-wrenching honesty that life doles out. There is also an additional twist to this story, though. Before James was diagnosed, he was singing in the chorus of the Welsh National Opera, he made a decision to leave the music business and took the occupation of being a bus driver, which he still does. When you hear him sing, you realize that he may have changed professions, but he has never left singing. I am thrilled to say that I have as my guest today on Center Stage, Michael Johnny Wills and James Robinson May. Welcome to Center Stage, gentlemen. It is an honor to speak with you both.
1: Thank you well, for
0: hello. inviting us Tom. it's it's been wonderful that you're able to do this this interview i'm thrilled I have to say that as a musician, I attend a lot of concert but, uh, concerts, but one comes along that wakes us up, and the performances that you both are doing is exactly that you are an esteemed artist and performing on a path that is the road less traveled, and I am thrilled so james i 've got to ask you first of all you 're healing yourself now through your music making. Um, are you still giving yourself the time and grace to to heal personally since your diagnosis of autism
2: um. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's um, it's been about uh, I think two, two and a half, two years since I, I had the diagnosis. Um, two and a half, I think, and um, and so yeah, I, I've, we've been around the sun a couple of times, and <laughs> things begin to begin to settle down after after that kind of time. Um, I mean, the healing thing—that's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, I, I have no intention of healing from autism just to be clear mm-hmm. um it uh but the, the i am definitely beating myself up an awful lot less mm-hmm. about the mistakes on, and the kind of i perceived that i'd failed quite a lot um before i was diagnosed and just shortly afterwards so yeah the songs and finding the songs um as you said in your intro your astonishing intro oh my gosh I can believe you were talking about us um <laughs> That's right. brilliant um, yeah, but you mentioned that that was the moment of um, catharsis, the diagnosis and finding the poetry, and Michael's response to it and the songs. And, yeah, I, there's no doubt at all that um, by making this uh, this work happen, um, I'm feeling, you know, really good about myself for the first time in potentially, you know, potentially, as you said, 30 years the whole time I've known Michael.
3: So,
2: yeah, I, I'm healing... My soul is healing. That's certain. That's certainly true. But I, I have no intention of trying to heal myself from or find a cure to the autism. I think it's been um, a profoundly um, unique and special part of who I am, which I can now claim with um, with uh, pride instead of sort of you know intense embarrassment. Which so so that's the difference. That's the change.
0: Wow! Powerful words, James. I think, yeah, I think, Michael.
1: Yeah, I, I think rather than. Uh, putting a label on it i i i would i would i always think of of uh, jim as having a uh, a very individual and um uh, unique character and he's you know always been uh, yeah very uh unique in 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 the way he approaches all sorts of things and and so it was no surprise to me his diagnosis two and a half years ago it was no surprise to me at all mm-hmm. um but rather than it being any form of disability which it is not mm-hmm. um i I think of it more of a of a um as a character trait rather than a uh, anything that one would ever need to be ashamed of um and uh, so i think that that's an important point to make.
0: I I love that, Michael. And did that lead you into being able to set his songs in an easier way as a composer yourself?
1: I Because Jim and I have known each other since we were 13 years old, mm-hmm.
3: um,
1: I feel that we know each other very, very well. I knew his voice very well as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I feel like I've been part of his life and I've experienced... Um, the, the the things he's been going through um you know very not the first time obviously but but I've been very close to him while he's been going through these things um certainly since he was about what nineteen twenty something like that um when we there was a, there was a period where we we weren't so much in in touch just after school and and for a few years there, um and then we got back in touch um in my third or fourth year at the academy. Uh, and he was in his first or second year. Um, so from that point on, we were very much in touch, and, and I feel that I was um, very much part, we, part of each other's life was living outside, outside mm-hmm. each other's pockets for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result of both knowing his voice very well, knowing his range very well, knowing where his strengths are um, vocally, um, and also being part of the experiences that uh, he wrote about, um, I felt it was incredibly natural for me to, to set it. And I, I, yeah, I didn't really have a difficulty. I I, I think a, cup, a couple of these songs, I think there's a song, There is a the Bench, I think I took about two days uh, to really?
3: write it. Geez. Um
1: Two days? Wow. There were so a few we there, Michael. I mean... <laughs> There were rewrites. There, mm-hmm. No, you're right. There were rewrites. Rewrite. So I, Rewrite. I, the, the, yeah. Actually, I tell you, there's some uh, interesting aspect of this. I will let you cut in, Jim, for a second. But I, I just want to say that the interesting aspect of, of my writing for this, actually, which is unusual mm-hmm. um, with everything else I do, is that it's actually similar to my film writing in some ways. That I, in, in film, you have a director who says, no, I don't want this, I want this. And whereas in concert music, you have a conductor who say, says, or a concert promoter or a singer who says mm-hmm. they want some songs, and at the end they, they say, great, and they either tell you they love it or they don't, and they're very polite and they don't sing it again. <laughs> um, in this case, because we're so close we're such good friends, Jim felt able, and I was fine with it, for him to say, you know what, that line doesn't work for me, or that's completely and utterly the wrong um, sort of uh, direction for this song, what I actually meant was this, and blah, blah, blah. So he, um, on the sometimes the second or third draft, he would write me notes about how, what he felt he was going through. And I remember mm. on a couple of songs, um, I would take the, um, the, um, the atmosphere, if you like, the mood of the song from the first couple of lines.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
1: realized after his notes that actually that was completely wrong. Um, what I and, and his notes were incredibly helpful in that respect, and the song would then become something completely and utterly different. i um, sorry, Jim, I interrupted you.
2: Well, no, I interrupted you. It's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, one of the cool, one of the really, the, literally the coolest thing about these songs is uh, it, they feel like I wrote them. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I wrote the words, but because um, no one else could have done this, because no one else was as close. We would, I mean, I, like as Michael says, I, I just said sometimes, you know, this is bang on. This is absolutely how I feel. I can even smell the, the room I was in when I was writing it from the music.
3: Is and Other right? times,
2: though, he oh. would, like he says, he, he, would go, he would go completely down a complete blind alley and take, he would, he would for example, the very first song ever on, on the whole um, CD that we gave you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, start, it starts with that red lightning is what haunts me. Yeah, And he just loved that line. He loved that line, and he wanted to write that Red Lightning down. He wanted to write that. It took him four drafts, <laughs> I think, four, not four drafts, four complete songs to stop thinking about that first line and actually set the words of the song, you know, the whole song. Um, so, I mean, I would say ninety well, no, 75% of the time he, he just wrote it in, in a few days.
0: That's incredible. But there were,
2: there were those others. Yeah, yeah. The, but there were those other ones where he... He just he he had a thought that you know, the, the, because the imagery is is can be can be um, arresting. I suppose people say that to me, and I'm like, okay, I'm learning mm-hmm. to accept that now. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And Michael would write stuff that was that defying, like really awful, tragic, like proper Wagner, you know. And I'd mm-hmm. be like, no, Michael, I was just I was walking in the park. What are you talking
1: about? And he'd be like, <laughs> the words, the words, Jim.
2: Look at the yeah. words. I'm
1: like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's but a good, great, yeah, the, maybe the great right. thing about this is, <laughs> it, 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 if you're setting a a, a poet of the 19th century. You can't go and ask him what he, how he felt when he wrote the poem and what, it was, mm. what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the benefit with this for me was that I was able to get into Jim's head with, with him just telling me what was going on. Um, so sometimes the music would completely change depending on, you know, what, what he would tell me. I mean, as you say, Jim, 75% of it. Um, I think the first draft was pretty much there.
3: Um, so I there this... are
1: certain poems that were that, the... that, that were completely and utterly obvious.
3: This
0: is the bond I was referring to in my intro, because it was quite evident in the concert that you two are very, very together. And um, this depth of understanding was really extraordinary. It comes across through everything. Um, Jim, I just have to ask you one thing. You know, why yeah. did it take you so long to get this this diagnosis? Is this something you had not looked into before? You would just continued. to put yeah, no, yourself up know. on?
2: I, I didn't. Yeah, like, I mean, so I'm, I have Asperger's, which means that um, I'm not, uh, I haven't, I I, could, I went through school and I could, I could um, or, or high school, I suppose what I mean, I, I'm talking to an American audience. That's right. And by the time I was, by the time I was um, graduating high school, you might say, I was, um, uh, there was nothing in my life that had been challenging. So I, we, Michael and I went to boarding school in in England, so mm-hmm. um so that's a very regimented uh, institutional life. Um, I mean, you could think Harry Potter if you like, because the buildings were definitely very similar. But the regime is, is I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's very regimental. It's very organised. People cook for you. People clean the rooms. Mm-hmm. You, know, you didn't have to really live. You didn't have to look after yourself. So right. You I was were taken care really of. Really, just yeah. I just I just did my classes and 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 you know uh, did my social stuff. I mean, there was we went to a British English boarding was full school, school of complete weirdos i mean that's just the way it is with the british you know so i fitted in perfectly well i mean obviously michael and i michael definitely noticed the subtleties but you know we, I, I would just look like any other boarding school kid until i left school and then i went to music college or so i had some time out i started living the real life and started realizing i had no idea absolutely no idea how to kind of care for myself or other people or and then girls wow girls oof that was mm. just huge. So I was like twenty, nineteen, twenty. I was going to music college in London. It's like fame. You know the film Fame?
0: Yes. Yeah, the, you know, the musical,
2: whatever it is. That was my real experience. You know, was, I was going to London, the Royal Academy of Music. Um and I was you know, big time, you know, proper big time and, sure. and the classes were full of very talented, beautiful girls and very talented, less beautiful men, you know how it goes. <laughs> and um <laughs> It was just—it was, just, was just a party, amazing, amazing party for five or six years, and that's my early twenties. And again, I'm just being a, you know, a, 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 a lucky guy at college, having a fantastic time, and uh, no real kind of signals that that my life is going to fall apart because I don't have the skills. So it's only really when I'm in my mid twenties, trying to start my career, trying to work out what to do, that it starts to become evident that I haven't really got it all going on, and. Mm-hmm. For me, the really very first time I thought critically about my ability, and I didn't have anything like the term autism to, to put there. I had no idea, what, really. But I never considered that the word autism and me would go together. I just, I just couldn't imagine it. So what, I can remember clearly um, auditioning for um, a spot on the Royal uh, Opera House Young Artists Programme. Um, and it must have been 2004 or 2005. I can't remember exactly, but it was around that time. I think it was 2004, um, and I got—I I did really well. I, I, we, I got as far as the, the final uh, audition. So there's like you send in the CD, and then they whittle you down to a series of auditions from about you know 500 odd to 12 or so. Right. And that 12 is then a few sopranos, a few mezzos, a few tenors, a few baritones, a few bassists, whatever. You know. And there's me in this bass from Canada. He's twenty one and he looks like Jason Momoa, and he sounds like God when he's just <laughs> talking, you know. Right. And and that was me and I I was about twenty eight or so and um I was pretty pretty I was pretty pretty confident about, you know, what I could do. I knew I could sing and stuff. But I I, I just kinda of thought, well so anyway, so we get to this final edition on the main stage, we're all the house, and I walked to, I, I heard this guy talking and then I heard his first aria or whatever, and I thought, Wow, he's he's really something. And then I just I walked out and it was a ballet set. I don't know what ballet, but it was just a flat stage. There was no opera stuff going on, and it was a piano and me and the opera house and the most you know the people out in the darkness. And I just thought, wow! So this is your chance to sing your stuff. And I sang something from La Cenerentola, I think, and I sang something from La Bohème. and I just knew I just remembered singing my songs and looking out into the auditorium and loving it and going and I switch I stopped worrying. I thought I this isn't for me. I'm singing the wrong songs. They're all Italian and they for old guys. Uh well, except perhaps Colina is a young guy, but from blah mm-hmm. blah Um but generally speaking my roles were bass baritone, awful bass, you know, stuff and I knew I couldn't I couldn't do that from my soul and I also I just thought how am I ever going to step, step out onto the Royal Opera house stage and maintain the show right. as a principal right you know I started to realize that you know much I wanted to and much as I had a kind of a, a, an instrument uh, i just I just somehow could feel at that point in my, in my late twenties uh this this isn't going to work i I'm not going to be able to tour the world you know New York or Germany or whatever hold my life together you know turn up and speak the languages and do the rehearsals and 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 just I just so I, I so I did that audition and, and I kind of I didn't give it away exactly because you can't know that. But I knew I had it in my heart. I sort of I sort of bowed out from mm-hmm. the, the race, you might say. Really? Um, and that for me. Yeah, yeah I just I just. Uh, yeah, I mean, I spent a little while longer. And so then very shortly after that, then uh, an opening several openings came up at Welsh National Opera, which is um, obviously based in Cardiff, um, down the M4 from, from London. And I knew I could handle the chorus life. Mm-hmm. It was much more stable. You know, we did tour. We tour around the country um, twice a year. There'd be a, a, a procession around the, the same old towns. Um, and um, and I knew, I thought, well, that's kind of my compromise. I'll be a professional singer. I'll have a staple job. Um, I'll, I'll be able to, you know, be make use of the, the years of training and, and not quit and just bail out um, but it's but it was very much a compromised decision and I, and I knew that but oh. I did I like I say I know and I've gone on a lot a lot about it but it, that was the moment it was the the audition at the house and I just thought nah,
0: that was that I haven't
2: got what it takes and I didn't know I didn't know why at that point
0: so did that lead you into a time of depression after that
2: um, well it was I was there was decisions to be made about about whether to keep singing at that point. Mm-hmm. Would I would I just bow out from the from the race? I, I do think of it like a race, like a like the Olympics. You need to get there and make it work, you know. Um, <clears throat> and I made that decision to to go to Wales, and it didn't feel like a bad decision. You remember, Michael? We celebrated that. I got the job. I went and did the auditions. I got the job. I knew I would. We knew I would.
0: It was a and, sensible um, decision in your mind.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and we, we But I remember very much. Michael, can you hear? Can you hear me?
1: I can I can't. Can. Are you with us? I, I do remember it very well. I remember it being a very pragmatic decision. Um, I remember. Yeah, it was. There wasn't it. Uh, yeah. You know, I remember you deciding to to do that because it was a stable income,
3: mm-hmm. um, and
1: th- there wasn't yeah. any um, risk of you uh, not being employed for a couple of months and mm-hmm. therefore not being able to pay off. Or you know whatever it was, mm-hmm, or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was an opportunity to, to have some kind of structure. I think uh, you were craving. Um, uh, but James, the when when the, did the, the, the other thing that, that I sorry, Pam. Go ahead. The, the, the thing that I I, I wanted to interject uh, when Jim mentioned it about singing to uh, an order, an opera audience um, was that I've always thought that Jim has got a, as do we all in some in, in many respects, have a, a yearning to, to communicate. Um, and a a, a yearning to um, have a connection um, with uh, the people he's singing to Um, and I think the best way to do that is with his own words and his own experience and that's something that he wasn't able to do with um, a foreign language with mm-hmm. someone else's. I understand.
0: Words. I understand. And being part of a whole in the chorus. Um, at what point, Jim, did you decide to drop out of the chorus? At what point did you decide to become a bus driver?
2: Yeah. Okay, yeah. That was fascinating, that whole process. But um, so if we now fast forward another decade and a decade later now, so. So I, uh, when I was telling you about the uh, my I knew in my heart that I, I wasn't going to pursue a, a solo career. Right. Um, but that was the end of my 20s, my late 20s. And then so by my late 30s, i I'd now done nigh on 10 years. So it was just short of 10 years at, at West National Opera. And those were my kind of marrying years. <laughs> um, I, I, I got to West National Opera. And I married a girl from the chorus within, uh, what, two years? My father, I think, it was two years in. And that was very short-lived. And then we worked together for, for the next seven years without all speaking to each other. So you can imagine a course of fourteen
3: rough, yeah. singing mm-hmm.
2: nine, ten, twelve mm-hmm. shows a year,
3: mm-hmm.
2: being the crowd, the chorus. You know who, my, my how it and not speaking.
1: And, go on. My my reaction to all his announcements of engagement was always positive. By the way, <laughs> I was always you know.
3: Oh, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> these are just
2: the marriages. These are just the marriages. Wow, we had there were engagements prior to that, a couple of those, and that's right. All sorts
3: right. of people I like always, lived with, and really, and, you know.
0: okay. <laughs> I'm 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 gobsmacked by you both right now. I really, I, this is amazing. But since we only have a 28 minute show, yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm keen yeah. to get to so that it, point where you you made that decision what to leave me, the music okay, business.
2: So, okay, all right, so I. Um, I knew that after ten years in the course, it, it wasn't doing it for me. Um, it wasn't, mm-hmm. as you had alluded to. Uh, I wasn't getting any sense of ownership or, or, or communication. I was just banging out the tunes and, and dancing around and being the, being the villager or whatever. Now you do, and it wasn't doing it for me. And I thought, well, this isn't working. So that was one reason. Then also, I had—I was about to get married for the third time to Napoli. Um, for the third I'm, I'm time. I'm not divorced from quite yet. Um, I'm not. We're still. We've had two years of separation. So I thought to myself, um, this is now coming up to um, beginning to think about being autistic um, with Natalie. She was able to sort of, I don't know, she didn't necessarily talk about it, but it was with her and with her um, attitude to me, it, um, it was just positive and helpful. Mm-hmm. I was able to start to make that journey. And so as part of that, knowing that she was a different kind of woman in my life, I thought you know this this singing world is has been pretty bad to me bad for me i've I've had a lot of hurt and pain in relationships with singers and in this industry um, I think it's time i i stopped doing that and and focused on this new marriage and 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 you know it, it was like a process of elimination I've tried uh, win, uh, marrying ladies women and and divorcing them, and that doesn't that's not doing the thing that's not making right. me feel better that's not that's not so maybe it's the career, maybe it's the singing, and maybe I'll try to cut that out instead.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: so that's why I decided to leave the opera. I mean, so there was the, 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 this this intersection with the job itself and also the kind of, well, let's try just not being a singer. Maybe that's the issue. i just, you know. So I tried that. Um,
3: so, and then bus
2: driving um, was something that would pay immediately and that would train you and pay you. Mm-hmm. But it was also something that I had been attracted to me in my very, very... Um, poor days as a student in London. Really, I would often see the buses drive by with their adverts for the drivers that they would train and pay these lovely sums of money that I didn't have, and they were always driving off somewhere, and I was always going to an audition or a stressful performance or something really terrible. You know, right, you can imagine.
3: Right, and I you just had help. the
2: longing to get on the bus and drive away over the horizon was immense, even when I was when I was a poor student. So, so it felt like a really obvious and good return to, to that kind of sense of escape. There was no real sense of just driving away.
0: When you talk about just driving away, I'm getting a chill actually listening to you. I mean, this is such a metaphor for you wanting to be free from something. Mm. My gosh. Yeah. yeah, My gosh. But listen, bus driver or not, your voice is so extraordinary. And Michael, your compositions (laughs) are so evocative of another world. I mean, you're really renowned as a composer, pianist, and also film composer. So you can really get into atmosphere very quickly. And I love the atmosphere that you both have conjured up here. And I would love to listen to one of your songs. I've chosen No Way Back from the long lost songs. And I'd love all of our audience to listen to this right now. I have to say thank you to James Robison May and Michael Chani Wills f- for being my guest today. That song gets to the j- just to the center of my heart, boys. I just I have to say immediately, the journey that both of you have been on together is profound. And I wish we had more time. Um, maybe we should have a series of interviews with you, two because you have a lot to say. But um, thank you. Uh, this has been well, truly totally extraordinary. You and good luck to both of you. Jim, may you always be driving that bus and finding your freedom. And Michael, good. we will talk again, I promise you. Now, this, <laughs> is, this is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on center stage.